Why, hello there, everyone, and welcome to the Urban Health Podcast, keeping busy people healthy. I'm Stephanie Webster, a nutritional therapist on Harley Street, London, specialising in fat loss, gut health and hormone optimization therapy for executives and entrepreneurs over 40. Today, we're talking about feet, podiatry specifically, and all of the toes in between. So according to a survey by the American Podiatric Medical Association, 74% of overweight Americans say that they experience foot problems. But it's not just Americans and it's not just the overweight. Our feet are very, very important, as we will come to learn from the wonderful Mr. Vas Shah. How are you? I'm doing very well, thanks, Stephanie. How are you? I'm great. So, Mr. Shah is a degree-qualified podiatrist and a full member of the College of Podiatry UK. He brings with him over 14 years of clinical expertise. He holds advanced qualifications in clinical nutrition and is a member of the International College of Holistic Medicine. Mr. Shah is an optimum wellness coach, educator and a pioneer in the clinical application of light therapy, photobiology and biophysics. Gosh, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Stephanie. So, Mr. Vart, so tell me, what got you into feet? Why feet out of all things? Well, so when I was 15, I started suffering with ingrown toenails. And like most teenage boys, I didn't really seek any help until it was further down the line. And so I had ingrown toenails. I used to go to my family GP back in the days when when that was such a thing. And um, he used to operate on the, on the nails, remove them, and unfortunately the problem came back after about six months once the nail had regrown. And so I had this sort of back and forth about seven times, had about seven different surgeries, and eventually I got referred to the podiatry department, and that just changed my viewpoint completely because suddenly I had a foot health professional who was going to do the surgical treatment, and it actually lasted it fixed the problem. I didn't have to go back. And so it really opened my eyes. So when I did do my science A-levels and deciding what to do, uh, I looked at podiatry. And then I, I went to the Birmingham School of Podiatric Medicine. I graduated there in 2008 with a degree in podiatry. And I've been practicing podiatry ever since. And and just to mention, my, my toenails are absolutely fine now. Um, <laughs> I'm glad. We're, we're all worried. Uh- <laughs> so, but why are the feet so important? And we do neglect them, don't we? As a rule, we don't really. Th- uh, I think a lot of the times people don't think about feet as much as we should, but they are so terribly important. Tell us why. They're very important, and we do neglect them. Having the, the climate that we do at this part of the world, they're always hidden away for the most part of the year, so we put off getting medical attention to them. Um, but your feet are your foundation, and they're a mobile adapter to the ground. And so this means that it affects your biomechanics. Uh, your structure, your whole body structure, and your frame. And so it's not just a physical thing, it also affects your nervous system if your biomechanics are misaligned. And um, it affects your circulation, Uh, it affects something called piezoelectricity, uh, which is a quantum biological phenomenon, and I'll come onto that later on, uh, which is all about how the application of pressure through movement actually creates an electric charge in the body and sort of powers ourselves. And we are, we, we, we are always told that we're, we're living longer now. We are certainly an aging population. And so having healthy feet is really important to keep you mobile and active and healthy into later life. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I want to mention is that 
from my experience as a podiatrist, I've noticed that feet are really the canary in the coal mine in a lot of situations. So, for example, um, we see a lot of patients with diabetes. Diabetes really affects the feet in a, in a negative way on multiple levels. And um, if you have the problem in the foot, you know that the problem is systemic. And it's, it's a canary in the coal mine if you have neuropathy in your feet or if you have a fungal infection because it signifies to me that there's a problem with your circulation throughout your body and that your blood sugars aren't stabilised and that's encouraging the growth of, say, for example, a skin infection, a fungal infection or fungal nail issue. And so, and there's also actually what, what doesn't really get talked about a lot in healthcare is the ethnic differences between different populations. So, for example, diabetes appears to affect South Asian and black populations in the UK significantly more than white populations. And so my work is based on sort of understanding why that is and how to remedy it. Mm-hmm. And also, you've got a very interesting website. It's not just about feet. There's other things that you bring in to your treatment practice. You say on your website that you are a pioneer in quantum biology. And so I'm intrigued. Tell me more. So, so quantum biology is a new, is a new paradigm in, in medicine, in healthcare. And it's essentially the application of the principles of quantum physics applied to biological systems. So our current medical model is over 100 years old and it's based on molecules and compounds and those compounds are typically pharmaceuticals so we have a disease and we try and fix it with a pharmaceutical drug now the the way that these drugs are designed is based on classical physics models newtonian physics you know listeners might be familiar with those chemistry sets with the plastic balls and the little connections between them Mm -hmm. so this is the this is the understanding of molecules that we, we have. And what isn't looked at very often at all is the subatomic level. So we're talking here about electrons, protons, neutrons, and photons. And these are the subatomic particles that make up the atom. And they sort of, the way that they behave affects the larger macro structure of the molecule. So I think it might be helpful if we just go through very quickly what each of those are and what they do. Sure, let's. And, and, and how it relates to the feet and if someone who's concerned, how, how it all interplays, how it weaves in, to give us some context. It is, it is a very, very interesting interplay. So electrons are negatively charged subatomic particles and they whip around the atom in these shells. And they have a, a fraction of the mass of, say, a neutron or a proton, they have one divided by 1,836. So the electron has a really, really small mass and it's really light if you want to look at it that way and it spins around. And then you've got neutrons and they have a neutral charge and their mass is slightly greater than a proton. The proton, as the name suggests, is positively charged and its mass is slightly less than that of a proton. And these two subatomic particles, the neutron and the proton, they jointly make up the nucleus of the atom, so the bit in the middle where the electrons are spinning around in orbits. Okay? So that's the essential summary of the atom. And then you've got the fourth element, which 
is photons. Now, photons are particles of light, and they're part of the electromagnetic radiation spectrum. And a photon is like a discrete quanta of light, like a packet of data, if you like. And they're really interesting particles, photons, because they have a physical wave function and a uh, sorry, a physical particle function, and then a wave function too. So they can behave in both ways, as a wave, a particle. So it sort of switches between a solid state, if you like, and a non-solid state, like a wave radiating outwards. And um, they interact only with electrons. So what photons do, this light, it hits the electron. Photon actually gets buried into the electron and in the form of, it changes the electron, the electron spin. It's called the angular momentum. So the angle, the spin of the electron whizzing around the shell of the atom will dictate its behavior. And then you've got loads of these atoms that make up long molecules, proteins, carbohydrates, fats, uh, hormones. They're all made up of atoms, very long chains. And so it's the interaction of the photon with the electron that sort of dictates how that molecule behaves. And that's why I believe is a missing link in healthcare today. It's a missing link of energy, how, how the quantum world applies to what, we've, what we're familiar with as the physical molecules, the physical structure that make up our bodies and ourselves. So that, that is an, a wonderful description. I will say that some of the audience would have enjoyed, followed and understood that 100%. And then uh, some of us who struggle to string a sentence together would, uh, would want to know how that relates to treatment of the feet and, and corns, blisters and bunions and so on. So how, how does that relate to the feet? Let's give it some context. So it relates to the whole body, not just the feet. But to give you the a foot example would be... Um, Everything in the body is, is working together. So if you only deal with a foot issue, you're, sort of, you're limited in how you can improve health outcomes in a patient. And so one example of this would be how diabetes, which severely can affect the feet. What is diabetes? How does it begin? And, and what's it all about? And, you know, in the medical field, it's generally considered to be a disease where there's an inability of the insulin hormone to control and regulate blood sugar and uh, your, your glucose levels in the blood. And so it's, it's assumed that it's because people are eating too many carbohydrates and that's what raises blood sugar. And that is true on one level, but there's a level beyond that, underneath that, and it's an, it's an issue of scale. You know, the more of a magnifying glass you apply to the picture, the more information you glean from it. And so what I, what I suggest is that people who have diabetes tend to, have, tend to be overweight. The two are associated with one another, and diabetes is associated with obesity. And obesity actually begins in the eye. And the way that it does that is through different light frequencies entering the eye and it having a stress response in the body by oxidative stress. And when the light hits the eye, it goes through uh, these nerves and they meet together at something called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is the master clock of the body. 
So here's, a, here's, here's something that the listeners might not be familiar with. The body is regulated with clocks, internal clocks, and all these organs have their own timing, and it's done through resonance, so the way that the atoms vibrate at a specific frequency. And if you're constantly exposed to an excess of light in the blue part of the spectrum, that will signal to your body that it's midday all the time. And that our bodies are designed to wake up to the sun. The exposure of blue light releases cortisol, which is a, typically known as a stress hormone. But what it does is it wakes us up, and we need that blue light in the morning. And it also raises our blood sugar levels. Now, if we're exposed to that frequency of light all throughout the day, if we are constantly exposed to a very limited spectrum of light in the blue part of the spectrum, and if we, if we have that exposure all day long, it signals to the body through the eyes to carry on releasing this stress hormone cortisol. And that has a side effect of increasing the amount of sugar in our blood. Okay, it's a very, it's like an, a very, an awakening and, 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 and a stressful response if it's done chronically. And that is what's keeping people's blood sugar levels elevated all day long. Mm-hmm. And that is what I believe to be one of the main contributors to not just diabetes, but to obesity and insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that, I, I know that in your consultations, you go over that with your patients in great, in great detail. Whilst we're on that, actually, what is your website address? So it's shaclinic.com, S-H-A-H clinic.com. Okay, that's amazing. So uh, we're going to go on to the treatments that you uh, treat in your clinic. So athlete's foot, bunions, uh, ingrown toenails, all of these common, common ailments. So tell us about the different uh, tr- treatments that you have and the, the problems that you see most frequently and how you can help people. So um, those are very common conditions that we see in the clinic. And um, I will go through them just one by one just to give you a sort of rundown of what causes them and what we do for them. Great. So um, bunions are essentially a misaligned biomechanical issue with the feet uh, so it's poor mechanics and that can be down to footwear if you're squeezing your shoe your feet into shoes that are too tight that will cause stress on the big toe joint and it'll stress the ligament around it as well weakening it over time and then it starts to lean inwards and you get this uh, bony deformity sticking out the side um, but it's also affected by hormones especially in ladies so we know that hormones affect the amount of elasticity in the ligaments that hold the bones together mm-hmm. and so that will have an effect too. So um, we treat them with uh, orthoses which are prescribed devices that go in your shoes and they basically improve the foot mechanics and take the stress off the big toe joint and just help to align it a bit more. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, So the diabetic neuropathy, that's an interesting one because it relates to what I've been explaining about uh, blue light and the dangers of blue light and how it can affect your blood sugar. And diabetic neuropathy is essentially when you have an excess of sugar in the blood and that causes damage to the nerves, especially 
the peripheral nerves in the foot. And so the best way to deal with that would be to control blood sugar levels. So I go through a, a dietary plan with my patients. And there are also different supplements that studies have shown that can actually stop the damage and even reverse it. Mm-hmm. And I like that holistic approach that you have. It's not just about going in and seeing your feet. You look at the whole person. Absolutely. And I think that is really the future of medicine because the current system that we have, it's it's based upon specialists. And, you know, you, you go to an eye specialist for an eye issue and, uh, and a, and a you know, gastroenterologist if you've got a stomach issue. And that's all well and good. But often there's so much interconnectedness with the body. And if we, if we look a disease in simple, just one sort of terms, we're never going to get to the, the bottom of it because by so many different factors. Mm-hmm. Was there another condition you wanted to discuss before we move on to footwear? Yes, so um, the two that I'm focused on in my clinic are um, verrucas mm-hmm. and uh, fungal nails, fungal infected toenails. So I deal with those using a special laser machine called the Lunula laser. And lunula is the treatment for fungal nail infections. Um, it's FDA approved, and it's gone through the second stage of, of approval, which is far more rigorous. Um, and basically how it works is tying back to photobiology and, and quantum biology, actually, because it uses different frequencies of light to damage the integrity of the fungus and then improve your blood supply. And not only that, it actually stimulates healing. And it does so within two different colors. One is the violet, the other one is the red. And the violet is around 400 nanometer wavelength, and the red is around the 600 nanometer mark. And these two frequencies work together in tandem really well to uh, disrupt the structure and integrity of the fungal uh, organism that's growing in your nail. And then the red frequencies back it up with immune system support. And they do it by a very interesting process where the red light actually activates the ATP system in your mitochondria. Mm -hmm. And uh, so mitochondria are the engines of your cells and they produce all of your body's energy. And they do it using a molecule called adenosine triphosphate or ATP. Mm -hmm. And this ATP molecule is constantly broken and refixed together. And in this process, it releases energy. And we recycle this, this molecule. And what the red light does is basically it gives photons of energy directly going into the pathway, sort of further downstream. So you you basically bypass the process that food, electrons and protons give you energy and you do it directly with light. And I have to say for anybody who's listening to this has, who has been suffering with athlete's foot, fungal toenails, and then they, they, the common complaint is I got it treated and then it came back. I got it treated again, then it came back again. So maybe it's time for a new approach. So whether you've heard of of the therapy that that Vas is speaking of now or not, maybe it's new to you. Why not give it a go and see what works? Well, the lunula laser has the most effective rate of healing. So in studies, it's shown to improve the rate of growth, healthy growth, by seventy six percent, and that varies depending on the patient. It's still a very, very high rate when you compare it to other modalities. For example, if you take an oral antifungal, there are risks associated with it. It can damage the liver and you need to have regular blood tests working with your GP. And 
with the laser, there are no side effects and there's no downtime either. And it has a far greater efficacy rate than the oral drugs. So it's really a win-win. And um, I work with the patients. I get their nutrition correct. I get the blood sugars balanced because we know that fungus feeds on simple sugars. Mm -hmm. So it's about building up health not just going to war with the body to destroy the pathogens. Mm -hmm. So it's a balanced approach. And I like that about you, that you're very thorough and you just don't see it as a symptom and treat it as such. You look, you look at the overall lifestyle and treat from the root cause. When that, and that's in line with functional medicine thinking as well, and that's becoming very popular. So that, can we talk about shoes? Because I'm very worried now. I'm very worried that you're going to remove my high heels from my feet and tell me not to wear high heels again. So I know that different podiatrists have different brands that they like when it comes to footwear. I have never been told that I'm allowed to wear heels and that how awful they are for the feet. But they are lovely for the soul. So what am I supposed to do? Just wear them now and again, I suppose. Yeah, it's all about how much time you spend in them, really. I mean, I no longer tell women that they shouldn't wear high heels. I, I just never get a good reception with that comment, so <laughs> I stop doing that. <laughs> but I must say, on a serious note, it is very challenging with ladies because I appreciate that, you know, looking smart, looking sharp for work, and also feeling good in yourself sometimes is associated with wearing heels. And But the, 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 the unfortunate reality of it is they do change your foot mechanics when you've got elevation in the heel especially by a few inches that makes a huge difference to your mechanics it's not in a good way also you've got a lot more pressure uh, at the forefoot so you can get um, metatarsalgia you can get more neuroma these sort of uh, swellings of the nerves and underneath the ball of the feet and then the pointiness at the front which looks great is really squeezing the foot into a, a space that it's too cramped for and then that will have a knock-on effect on the bunion and also the little toe joint as well which sort of tends to suffer as it's been squeezed and bent inwards so i would say if you're going to wear heels make it sort of bar to car scenario mm -hmm. you know and um don't walk too much in them if you're say for example commuting to work you're, you're walking to the tube station then yes have a more comfortable spacious roomy shoe that you can walk in. Um, I don't have any particular favorite brands, but the simple way that I put it is wear a foot-shaped shoe. Okay. Yeah, a foot-shaped shoe. I mean, just to illustrate the massive difference between the space you provide for your feet in your shoes and the space your feet require, you can actually draw around one of your feet while standing on that foot. And you'll see how much your toes will splay. And then if you place your shoe on top of that drawing, it should be able to eclipse that, that drawing. Mm -hmm. And if it does, then that shows that you've got plenty of room. If you can see the outline, then it's a clear indication that the shoe's too tight. So with that information, I let the patient decide how much time they want to spend in that shoe. Wow, I have to say, I, I, I imagine that you've worked so diligently on your feet that you must have beautiful feet by now. And uh, my, my feet are rather uh, candidates for auditioning for Lord of the Rings, I suspect. So after all the years of wearing heels, they're sort of gnarly and, and bent. And is that, can they recover? Can they ever align and look elegant again? Uh, yes, I think they can. It just depends. I mean, um, if it, 
when they've been sort of squished into, into tight footwear, they tend to get sort of um, thickening of the skin. That can yeah. leave the skin a little darker on the top, and that's difficult to get rid of. Uh, it does tend to improve a little bit with time, but it just depends on how much friction and um, mechanical stress it's, they're receiving going into the future. You can recover the mechanical integrity and the function of your foot, um, but it, it often works. It often works better if the patient's work is referred to an osteopath or a, a manual therapist where they can work on the upper body, the hips, opening those up, working on the spine. Because if you spend years and years in high heels, it will affect your spine. I have to say, when there's been months where I've worn high heels less, it has been noted in my weight training and in the gym in general that my performance is better whereas if I'm wearing heels a lot I, I, I don't squat as well I don't lunge as well my, my, my feet don't sit in my shoes as, as well so I don't have uh, enough handle on, on the movements I have noticed that that's right and it'll affect lots of things going further up upstream to upper parts of the body it'll affect your digestion it'll affect your lung capacity how much you can expand your lungs so it's going to have a knock-on effect on your performance in the gym for sure interesting so how does your interest in nutrition tie to feet? We touched on this earlier, but maybe there's something else that you'd like to share. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, I've been working as Pilates now for about 11 years, and in that, in that time I noticed that although I'd get improvements in patients that are presenting with things like verrucas or fungal infections, I, I wasn't getting results that I really knew were possible and that I wanted to get for my patients. And... You know, there were factors in, in this equation that I didn't really have the ability to control in that clinical setting. That's why I decided to study nutrition so that I can offer an additional layer of information to patients that educate them about how their own body really works. And it's about empowering the patient so they don't have to keep coming back, you know. And so I've cured them of their fungal infection and they've corrected their nutrition. That's it. They're now in charge of their health. Mm-hmm. And they're autonomous. Yeah. And sometimes when patients are embarking on their journey of exploration on their feet, they start with something like reflexology, and then they find that they go on to podiatry maybe. I'm not sure of their route. But how does what, what you do differ from reflexology, for example? So we're very much based on the you know, Western medical model, what we do, you know, we, we, we perform surgery on our patients, we prescribe drugs when necessary, and my understanding of reflexology is actually quite slim. Um, I know from my patients that have told me they've had um, reflexology treatments, they've definitely got benefit from it. Now, whether or not that's just a placebo effect, uh, I don't know. But I think going forward into the future, I think quantum biology really is going to be paradigm that we can use to explain how it works okay and the thing is with feet there's so many contradicting theories of what works and what doesn't work for example i've seen salt soaking sessions do they do anything for the feet should we be salt soaking ourselves yes so um it depends on the salt that you're using if you're using um, sodium chloride or table salt then that's quite useful to draw out any infection that you might have and uh, just disinfect the feet if you're using something like Epsom salts, which have a high amount of magnesium in there, that will confer a bigger benefit because you can absorb the magnesium in through your skin. And magnesium is very good, very um, very good for relaxation. It's useful before bedtime. And the way that our diets are right now, there's an 
there's an, there's an imbalance between this sort of seesaw mechanism of calcium and magnesium. And so we're getting a lot of calcium into our diet, but not in magnesium. And so you can help to just rebalance that situation. Mm-hmm. And what are your top, top 10 tips for the path of the feet? Okay, so number one, obviously, always wash them carefully with soap and water. And I recommend using a really simple plain soap, like uh, either Castile soap or tallow-based soaps, which are chemical-free. And uh, with that, it's always important to put your feet properly as well, because that can, if you, if you have damp feet and you put your shoes and socks on, uh, that can increase your chance of getting a fungal infection. Um, number two, I would say inspect them regularly. Uh, sounds obvious, but not many people do. And this is especially important if you're a diabetic, so you can have any issues and see a podiatrist if you're concerned about anything. Um, and so, yeah, that, that leads to number three, which is check up with your podiatrist. So for most people, that would be every 12 months. Um, for people who are diabetic, at least every six months, and maybe even more, depending on if you've got any ongoing problems like uh, wound issues. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about light therapy and photobiology. I saw that on your website. I was deeply intrigued. So we touched on it earlier, but I know that there's more. So tell me more. The light therapy is all about using the correct frequencies at the correct time to rebalance our biology. And so there's two types of lasers that I've been using in my clinic since 2012. Uh, one of them is called low-level laser therapy. That's also sometimes called photobiomodulation. And it's basically using the specific frequencies of light in the red and infrared part of the spectrum. And they're very healing and regenerative. So I use those from for, for verrucas. Uh, I use them for sprains and strains and swelling. And it works remarkably well. And um, it can even be used for bone healing, actually. So the, uh, the typical advice people give get for if you've got a broken toe is just tape it together or just wait for it to heal. But that's not true. You can actually use low-level laser therapy to increase the healing rate. Um, and again, it works by stimulating the mitochondria, which is your energy centers, and you've got thousands of them in your cells. And most of them are actually in your heart and in your brain. The, the type of cell will dictate how much mitochondria you have in there. And by stimulating them via the ATP cycle with the red light, you actually speed up the healing process. Uh, so. That's part of the light therapy that I do. The other part is making sure you get full-spectrum sunlight outside at specific times of the day to essentially program your hormones correctly. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So this, is, this is a missing link with, uh, with hormone therapy, I think, at the moment. I, I think there's a few missing links that you address in your clinic, which is uh, a wonderful, comprehensive approach to, to the feet. So that's, that's great. So tell us about a case study where you've had a client and they've been struggling for a while and then you've cured them? So this patient, uh, she, she calls it her zombie to Zumba story. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> zombie to Zumba because she was essentially uh, bed bound from um, a digestive disorder. So she had Crohn's disease yep. and she's only in her early 30s. Uh, she wasn't able to get out of bed. And so we put her on a, a tailored nutrition plan. Uh, 
she was having lots of difficulties. She was going to see her consultant. Her consultant wanted to put her on methotrexate and various other immune-suppressing drugs, mm-hmm. which she was informed will increase, most likely, her chance of getting bowel cancer. But at the same time, her risk of bowel cancer was high anyway, so it was a lose-lose situation. Um, she decided not to go for that option. She decided to come to see me and work with me. Within a few weeks, she had energy again, and after six months, her very gory experiences when she goes to the number two uh, were gone and she had perfectly formed number twos again and now she goes to the gym three times a week. Mm -hmm. Wonderful that's really good and I have ulcerative colitis and I, I see patients with Crohn's disease and other digestive concerns and I have to say once you've found a solution to to the long struggle it is so rewarding so it's amazing that you've caused that change in someone. It's wonderful when it works, you know, and um, of course in the medical field, they we don't really use the word cure a lot, which is a shame, but uh, the word remission is used a lot more. Mm-hmm. So, according to a consultant, she's now in remission, but I wish I was there to see the consultant's face when she told her what she'd done and how her nutrition approach had helped her to reverse the disease. Mm-hmm. Yes, a lot of the times... We've had a lot of discussions, you and I, on how different uh, doctors have a negative view of simple strategies like nutrition, for example. And really, it's it's got nothing to do with whether somebody's highly qualified or not qualified. I see it more as a personality trait of not being open-minded, and that can happen at any point in the qualification process. So it's not really... It's not... It's not the medical world against the complementary therapy world is actually just more of an attitude of being open-minded to different therapies at different times. That's true, and also it's important to remember that doctors aren't trained in nutrition, and for that matter, neither are podiatrists. So we we have a very limited understanding of how nutrition can affect, improve, or change a disease. And so unless we go and investigate those avenues, we're going to be left in the dark about how they can help. Well, nutrition transformed me. I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for nutrition. So I, I, I think you know it works for me. It doesn't work for everybody else. And I guess for those who want to try nutrition out as their way of handling inflammation, then this is an invitation. But I'm not sort of converting anybody to a religion. It's up to them if they want to, to join or not. For some people, they just want to stay on their medication. And that's absolutely fine. That's their truth. And if that's what they want to do, I, I respect that also. I, I just believe in educating uh, the, uh, people and giving them informed consent, letting them know about all the options that they have available to them, and then they can choose based on their risk attitude to adventure and and uh, get their own bodies, I suppose, and the urgency Absolutely. of the matter. Mm-hmm. I think we're, we're living in a time where we expect a pill for every ill, and that's that's the paradigm we're living in right now. And um, people are very busy, so they want a simple solution, and sometimes the solution is. It requires a little bit more effort than that. So the nutrition work that I do is based around circadian rhythms. So it's all associated with basically the seasons and what food you should be eating at what time of the year. So for example, if you're eating bread and wheat products throughout the 12 months of the year, that can cause problems in the, um, in the enterocytes, the cells in the lining of the gut, because they're not accustomed to receiving that type of food all year round. Remember that wheat's only you know, produced around summer when it's had a long growing cycle. And 
tie it back into what I said earlier about, about photons programming the electrons. So the food has got information stored in it in the form of photons and light. And if you're exposing your, yourself to that food, which is only grown in a certain time of year, you get a mismatch in the electrons in your body, and that can create inflammation. Wow, I have to say, this has been a very enlightening podcast. I have learned so much, and thank you very much for your time. So tell us, how do we get in touch for a consultation? What are your details? What's your website? What's the next step if somebody wants to get hold of you? So I'm based at number four Harley Street, and um, I see patients there for dietary, for, uh, for veruca uh, uh, problems, basically anything podiatry and nutrition related. And uh, the nutrition consultation is always based in quantum biology. And that can be done via Skype as well. And uh, people can book in with me on my website, which is sharklinic.com. That's amazing. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Stephanie. Okay, have a great day. Cheers, take care.